Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today I chat with the multifaceted voiceover talent, Bo Bridgeland. Bo's pursuit of the American voice actor dream has led him to work on Wasteland 3, Trials of Mana, Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, and many other amazing projects in both English and American dialects. Not bad for someone from a small town in the English countryside. Yeah, I will never complain about my commute again. What are some of your favorite things that you've worked on? I know it's hard to pick a favorite, but what are the first ones that come to mind? Um, so I think the, a lot of the favorite things I've worked on have been things I've worked on since I've come here to America. Um, so I, I really loved working on like one of my favorite animated shows, uh, Miraculous Ladybug Tales, yeah, Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. That's like a really awesome, oh, fun wow. show, and I got to yeah. be in a couple of episodes of that. Um, I got to be in Trials of Mana, which is amazing. That was the first time I was ever in a game on a Nintendo console, and I like grew up playing Nintendo mm. games and stuff like that. So that was really cool. Um, mm. And then yeah, just so those are like two of my favorites. Um, those are good favorites. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then I I did like a commercial for Google last year, which was really fun. And oh, nice. um, and then earlier this year, I did a mobile game, Kart Rider Rush Plus, which is a, okay. a mobile yeah, game which has been sort of very popular apparently. And uh, and that was like so much fun to work on as well. So those are just like a few of my sort of favorite fun things that I've done. And they've all been sort of quite yeah. recent, relatively speaking. So, yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. It's especially, you know, the way this year's gone, it's nice to to be able to have some recent work come out and, and awesome stuff like that. Those, that is a good answer. I'm going to borrow that if somebody asks me the question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I know, uh, obviously, you can do uh, some really good American accents, but... Um, for these gigs that you mentioned, were they did you utilize some British dialects? So for actually for Miraculous, it was funny because um, I played the voice of Kagami's mother's car uh, called Tatsu, and uh, mm. that was just kind of me using kind of pretty much my natural voice because you know sort of robot voice English Jarvis, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, so that was kind of uh, yeah using the English thing, and then I did some American in that as well. Um, mm. But yeah, like Trials, Trials of Mana was all American. Cart Rider was American. Um, the Google one was English. Um, mm. I kind of have like a nice, healthy little mix of like English and American, which is always like a relief. And I'm always like happy to be the English guy, but it's always cool when someone does give me the opportunity to do the American as well. They don't just look mm-hmm. at me and think, oh, he's the English guy. You know, they kind of right. look at me as like who I am and my personality rather than just what my sound is, which, you know. Yeah, um, it's like a cool and important thing. Definitely, definitely. And I can kind of even I mean, I'm American, but I can relate to that because, you know, I, my background is Middle Eastern. So I'll get some Middle Eastern roles and uh, I booked a number of those. And it's nice because, you know, the pool is a little bit smaller. It might not be as competitive, but at the same time, like I really enjoyed um, being able to book some stuff like like the work that I did on Final Fantasy that it did not require my ethnicity it was just my personality and, right, and you know yeah. bringing a fun yeah that's so, awesome uh, yeah it's definitely I can one hundred percent relate to that it's it's a fun feeling it's like a validation that you get yeah. to know that okay yeah because it, it's it's like I am this thing 
Like, mm-hmm. and yes, right. like I am this thing, but I am also other things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of so it's nice when people recognize that. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of this thing that you are uh, as an Englishman, <laughs> um, uh, where did you grow up? Where did you get started? So I grew up in a small town in the countryside mm-hmm. in uh, Cambridgeshire, uh, which is sort okay. of like to the east of London. Is that yeah, kind of near I, Essex? Yes, it is. Okay, um, cool. Wow. Um, so I always, I always like kind of go with Cambridgeshire or like Cambridge because people have heard of Stephen Hawking and they right. kind of know Cambridge. <laughs> um, but then I never, I never want to sort of say the other like surrounding towns and cities that are nearby because they're just so obscure. Although actually there are one or two times where people have like absolutely known like, precisely where I lived and it's very <laughs> strange. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, and I just had a very kind of. I don't know, just like a very kind of quiet, modest little childhood, really nothing, nothing really particularly big or exciting at that and definitely not compared to now. Right. But to be honest, with regards to, because you sort of said about getting started and with regards to sort of career stuff in England, I never really dove into uh, the world of like English or UK sort of voiceover much in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of just did everything I did from home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually didn't do a single session like at, at a studio in England at all. I, tr- I tried to like get representation and stuff, and I just, but I didn't like have the connections or anything. I see. Um, and I kind of, my goal was always to kind of to come here and do this because the type of voice actor I want to be and the type of work I want to do is the kind of stuff I loved growing up, and all that stuff came from here in the the states. Mm. You know, um, right. comes you know from like here in Burbank and in Hollywood and. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those amazing like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network shows, you know, kind of came from out here. And I kind of realized very, very early on into this dream that it kind of meant I might need to come to America to do it. That's, yeah, I can't imagine that step. But obviously, my commute um, to the dream was much shorter. But I, I wonder, you know, before we get into the voiceover and the actions you took to get there and eventually make your way to the States... What was your childhood like? I know you mentioned you were kind of on a countryside place, which I can't help but romanticize because I've been watching a lot of uh, British shows on Netflix. There's one called <laughs> Find It, Fix It, Flog It, which, uh, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I, like I didn't watch it. My mom like loved like so many of those shows. So okay. I kind of I like know the titles of them, but I can't always mm. necessarily remember <laughs> which one's which because there were just so many of right, them. But, right. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I have a fascination with the countryside, the English countryside. And um, they go to a lot of, you know, storage units all over the country and uh, usually in sort of very green, lush villages. And I just enjoy that landscape and and can't imagine what it'd be like to grow up there. So what was it like to grow up there? Um, yeah, it was just sort of quaint and quiet and lovely, really. Um, and definitely some of the places you see on those shows really are sort of beautiful and, and lovely. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think if you sort of have like quite a nice sort of big countryside town where you kind of do have some shops and, you know, you kind of have like the things you need, um, mm-hmm. they can be really wonderful. It's just, but when you live in a town where like, you know the the most exciting thing you have is like a post office then um right you know um there there are like then some drawbacks but but yeah, yeah. i i had like a little quiet and nice sort of just like a very modest childhood really nothing really particularly exciting but nothing too sort of dull either um i mean one of the more remarkable things just kind of of my life and my childhood is um that i do have a severely learning disabled younger brother mm. and that does like a it's one of those things where I kind of always think of my childhood as normal and stuff like that, but 
that does affect you and it does change you and it does change your outlook on life. And I was, and I think there's been like a tweet or something going around recently about like, what kid were you in like high school or something? Like what were you known as in high school? You know, so it's like, oh, the kid who loved anime or the kid who did voices or the, Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, to be honest, mine in primary school was being like, you know the brother of the disabled boy kind of thing because you know my mum when she'd pick me up from school would you know come with my little brother every day and stuff um and like you said you're you're from a a smaller town so something like that would stand out more than if you were in a big city somewhere especially yeah and Um, definitely yeah and definitely like you know a couple of decades ago um right you know I, i guess compared to more today you know sort of when you're growing up like without things like the internet and where this kind of stuff wouldn't have been on tv and you know disabilities and stuff are much more kind of accessible and recognizable and sort of in our homes and in our lives a bit more because of things like the internet Mm -hmm. and the way that information can sort of you know be in the palm of our hand you know versus when i was growing up and you know again i can't imagine what that must have been like but was there a lot of bullying and and sort of negative uh attention that came from that from your peers at school or um for the most part were people understanding people were lovely um, honestly, I, I never got like That's bullied great. for it or anything. No one ever, I, I literally can't remember anyone ever making like fun of him or like pointing and laughing at him or anything. Oh, um, people, yeah, people, people were nice and good and, and, and amazing, quite frankly. Um, so I, I never got bullied for like that or anything. Um, right. I got, I got bullied for being me a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but not for, <laughs> but not for, uh, you know, um, for like my brother. So no, people were right. good. Like, I think one thing is that people are kind of like, interested and they're sort of interested in a way where they want to be supportive and helpful which is really nice yeah Um, that makes me so happy to hear especially like you said you know a couple decades ago that was not the case um for a lot of people and people are afraid of the unknown you know exactly right right so when did creativity come into play when did the first sort of inklings of uh of your eventual pursuit of acting uh come into play so that's a great question um Basically, because there are going to be people listening and they think, oh, he's English, Shakespeare. Um, Mm. I am too stupid to understand Shakespeare. I do not. (laughs) I do not. I am not like a... And I was I didn't like do plays. It's really funny. My big Mm. brother, so my younger brother's the learning disabled boy, um, Mm -hmm. and then I have my big brother as well. And my big brother... My big brother was the one who was the actor as a kid. He did all the plays in schools and stuff like that. And I think people thought he was going to go off and be an actor... And then I don't really know what happened. Somehow just we kind of switched. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I, I never like did plays or anything. I was just never really like interested in theatre. I did it up until mm-hmm. the end of like sort of primary school, sort of, you know, elementary school, primary school. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, but I just didn't really have interest in it. I liked other things. I liked sports. Like I played football and cricket. By football, I mean soccer. Um, so right, like soccer course. and cricket. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked Nintendo and hanging with my friends and stuff. And Mm-hmm. And just so I, I was never kind of gripped by acting. But I think it's because I didn't really know what acting was. I think when when you do plays as a kid, it's usually just the teacher kind of telling you where to stand and telling you to speak loudly so people at the back right. can hear you. <laughs> but that kind of like, oh, it's like playing pretend and you kind of empathize and relate to these characters and you kind of find out where they overlap with you and you overlap with them and, you know, all this kind of interesting, way more interesting stuff um, that mm-hmm. acting actually is. But I, I didn't kind of know that when, you know, you're like, 10 or whatever mm-hmm, got it. but I, I did always love cartoons and nintendo so i always i always kind of had like a creative streak but i never really did anything creative yeah like a, a few years probably after i like say stopped doing plays um 
I watched Inside the Actors Studio with the cast of The Simpsons. And mm. Oh yeah, that was a good one. It, it, yeah, and it it <laughs> it was just utterly mesmerizing. It captivated me. I it was so funny and interesting. And that was the moment I kind of realized like what voiceover was and like where voices in cartoons actually come from. You know, it was that kind mm-hmm. of moment where it's like, oh, this is how they do it. This is what it is. Oh, right, this makes sense. You know, kind of. Because right. you just you you don't really think about it again. It's always that thing where like you'll get some voice actor say like kind of like never do voices for like young kids because you will like do the voice and they just like won't get it kind of thing. They think right. you're like just doing an impression. <laughs> Whereas like an older mm-hmm. kid will kind of understand that like oh they're like the person who gets in front of a microphone and does it. Um, right, exactly. So, but so I kind of had this moment and I kind of thought like wow that would be like a really awesome job to do. But it didn't. It didn't become the thing I needed to do until years later. And actually, kind of going back to uh, your earlier question about you know what it's like growing up in a small town in the countryside, I was like sort of also quite academic as well. So I kind of thought that I would. The the most ambitious thing I really ever thought was that maybe I'd like I get a degree in something kind of smart, and then I'd like move to London and get like a quote unquote proper job, but just like some kind mm-hmm. of office job. That's what I kind of thought would kind of happen in my life. And so even though I kind of was like, wow, like, you know, doing voices for cartoons, that looks like it would be so much fun and would be amazing. I didn't think it could actually happen. I didn't think, mm-hmm. oh, I should think about how to try and do this. I was just a kid, you know. Right. But it was years later. It was kind of just before I went to university. Um, I had an experience with a, a friend. I was like doing a bunch of voices and like impressions and stuff like that. And and he was like really laughing. And he turned to me and said, you know, you're really good at that. Have you ever thought about doing it? Uh, like professionally and I was immediately like well I've always I've like thought for years it'd be a really cool thing to do after I watched this thing about the Simpsons but um Mm -hmm. but I never thought about actually doing it you know when you're from a small town in the countryside you don't think okay I'm gonna go to Hollywood and be in cartoons you just you just Mm -hmm. don't that thought doesn't occur to you right um and even at that moment, you know, again, I was like all set to go to university. If I had gone home that day and said, "Mom, cancel my university plans. I am, I'm going to America," like, um, you know, that would not have ended well. Um, so, but but even so, like that day when my friend said that thing, everything kind of clicked. All these kind of like passions and that sort of creative streak I had, and mm-hmm. and just kind of my personality and my interests, everything kind of all aligned at once. And from that moment on. I kind of thought about voiceover like every second of every day ever since, basically. Yeah. Um, but uh, but like I said, I was all set to go to university. So I did go off to university and um, get a maths degree. Um, but I wasn't very happy doing that. And, and I, I couldn't really like find a job afterwards or anything. And all those ideas of like, oh, I'll get a degree and then a proper job like didn't really work. It was, yeah. you know, there was like the economic recession the way people have got jobs has changed right drastically um and stuff so then i kind of thought well yeah you know like i've had this idea in my head for a few years that voiceover in you know like going to hollywood and being in cartoons might actually be possible i'd kind of been learning about it on the side mm-hmm. why not let's actually do some stuff to make that happen it's crazy how sometimes you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and it seems so obvious, but it it takes sort of a neutral third party to point it out to make it feel like a tangible thing. Yeah, um, because absolutely. yeah, I had the same thing. You know, I I, I started out kind of like you, pursuing something that had nothing to do with with acting, and it was it would get me a proper job, and um, eventually from that switched over to work on animation uh, as a PA on some shows, and and um, oh sweet. 
Yeah, and but but even then, I never thought of like voice acting. And I grew up here near LA, but voice acting was just—it uh, seemed like something that other people do. You know, it didn't seem like something yeah. that oh, you can do, I can do if we just take the steps towards it. So. You know, you mentioned that once your friend said uh, you should think of doing voiceover, that that's when it started to yeah, build and percolate in your head. So uh, did you end up taking any courses while you were still living in England to, to improve your acting or voiceover chops? So what I did, um, so I, I went to university to get my master's degree I'm from Loughborough, Loughborough University. Um, mm-hmm. I almost got the top grade. I was like one point three percent off the top grade or something but like hmm. ah, i was like so close um again that 1.3 percent probably changed my life though because if i would got that i probably would have been able to get a job um, <laughs> whereas having like the second best um grade which is like the most common one the one that like most people get um mm-hmm. you know then kind of doesn't make you stand out at all when applying oh. for jobs um but anyway so i i went and studied mathematics and uh, but sort of during that, I did learn about voiceover on the side, I, like mm. from like the internet and podcasts and books. I read a lot of books, okay. and I would sort of uh, email voice actors and ask them questions um, oh, and nice. stuff. So I kind of like, I, in a way, I took this very kind of academic approach to it. I didn't do anything practical or hands on, but I kind of built up this like theory and this knowledge and this kind of understanding of like generally how things work and generally mm. what you need to do. Right. But without really super duper doing anything like taking an actual class to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I I finished, I you know sort of tried to look for a job, like I said. But then I was you know like I said, nothing really happened. I was very miserable. Like university wasn't a good experience for mm-hmm. me. And I kind of decided, you know, and luckily my mom was really good and she could see I was unhappy and and stuff. Mm-hmm. And but I was kind of like, let's go for the voiceover thing. Let's. Let's do it. Because I think the thing I always thought in my head, like before I went to university, I was kind of like, oh, well, if I get like my math degree, maybe I can then do another year and get a teaching qualification, teach for a few years, build up a bit of money, get some stability. And Mm -hmm. then I'll start learning about voiceover on the side and gradually kind of phase out and, you know, sort of phase out the teaching. And then, you know, but, you know, I kind of got to this point where I was like, well, if I'm not working, I might as well not be working in voiceover. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, and again, I kind of like wanted to be in America very quickly after my friend said that thing. I was like, well, everything I want to do is like in America, so I probably have to like try and see if I could like go to America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I'm sorry wh- to interrupt, but that seems like a huge step. I mean, did you know people that already <laughs> lived in America, or was it just the no. passion for the career was like, well, that's where it is. I'm gonna go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it. Is the latter. I wish it was the former. The former sounds more sensible and pragmatic. But it's just, um, but no, it, that's the thing. It's just like Nickelodeon's in America, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, but I kind of, so I'd kind of been reading all these books and stuff like that. There was one book. Um, it's often considered like the Bible of voice acting because it's massive and it's chock full of information. It is fantastic. Um, uh, called The Art of Voice Acting uh, okay. by James Olberger, and he had a newsletter, and I was like subscribed to the newsletter, and. I told, I think I'd probably been getting the emails for a while, but I'd probably been uh, sort of just kind of deleting them. And a little bit kind of due to that sort of earlier mentality, we said, a little bit to do with like the magic of voiceover. And, and again, a little mm-hmm. bit of that just when you're from a small town in the countryside, you don't think about actually doing things. Right. But they'd been, I'd been getting these newsletters for this uh, convention here in the States, here in California. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I had this, uh, but one day, I, th- I think it was like after I'd kind of, uh, I'd kind of started to feel better after my depression and I'd not, I'd sort of stopped like trying to look for work and stuff. Right. And I was just sort of trying to think about what to do with voiceover, like getting myself better mentally and then uh, trying to figure out, you know, what do I do about this voiceover? Because I was in this weird place where I had all this like intellectual knowledge, but I needed to, but I knew I couldn't just like buy a microphone and start mm-hmm. working. I needed to like take some classes. Right. Um, and this email came in and it was for this convention, the Voice 2012 convention, um, voice being an acronym, Voice Over International Creative Experience. Hmm. Um, and um, and I was like, hang on, what is this thing? Like, I keep getting told about it. Um, <laughs> right? I think I've been told about it a few times, but like, what actually is it? It sounds interesting. It, it, and it kind of said like, oh, like Crispin Freeman, Pat Fraley, Mark mm-hmm. Cashman are going to be there. I kind of heard of all these people from like my sort of podcast listening and books and you know i mean pat fraley was in the ninja turtles as a kid you know mm-hmm. um right. so it was kind of at that point where i was like oh this convention sounds really interesting and there are all these classes and all these people and it was kind of everything was all in one place so i wouldn't have to like hop all over la or anything mm-hmm. um to like go to all these different studios like every like the studios and the people are all coming to like one hotel was this shortly after you moved to the states that you discovered this event and decided no, to go the, there the, the moving here is a way more recent thing. Um, I I, w- I wish I could have just moved to the states back in like 2012. I'd be <laughs> I'd be uh, so much further ahead. Mm-hmm. But um, but that was kind of what I did. Like this convention kind of came, and it was great because it was kind of like a, a buffet of voiceover. Everything there were lots of kind of little different things all in one place, mm-hmm. crammed into one week. But I went and I had this amazing experience and this just fantastic time, best time of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back and, and the sort of the long story short is I basically did like three trips in three years. And between those times, I'd like do a few temp jobs just to sort of get funds back up. And mm-hmm. uh, so like for you know each subsequent trip. Um, so the first trip was the convention and that was amazing and brilliant and I loved it. And then the second trip somehow ended up being even better. I got to like, you know, because in the first trip I met just... Um, for, for people listening to this who are like just say like fans of cartoons and stuff they may not have heard of this person but for people who work in LA as a voice actor might have then heard of him um Bill Holmes the voiceover mm. doctor um he's a wonderful actor director and coach and he's a, like the best demo producer for like if if you have a commercial demo you need to get made go to him mm. um, I'm literally wearing a Bill Holmes t-shirt right now I'm sorry <laughs> that I don't have my camera on and that the camera's <laughs> in the wrong place um but um but I, I met him during the 2012 uh, convention, and that was a real life changer because he just kind of, he met me and he just kind of recognized that I was passionate. And, you know, when I was this kid who was kind of saying, like, I really want to come here to America and do this, he believed me and was like, yeah, this this kid's going to do it. Um, and awesome. so he he was kind of, he was very kind and, and kind of took me under his wing and wanted to help me out and tried to like introduce me to people and stuff. And so he was like a big part of that uh, second trip, and um, and again, I, I could I could spend like the whole of this interview just talking about that whole second trip, right. um, like half of that second trip, even not even the whole of the second mm-hmm. trip. Wow! Um, but um, but the basic sort of like you know, but again, I, I did some amazing classes. Like Bill set up an amazing class for me, um, and I, I got to like go to Nickelodeon twice to watch animation sessions be recorded. Oh wow! Which was incredible. Or, so, mm-hmm. so, 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 Bill. So it's funny. So with Bill, I did a, a sort of like a workshop with Charlie Adler and Greg Berger, mm. 
And I got talking to Charlie, and within a minute of meeting him and talking to him, he invited me to Nickelodeon, which oh, wow. was insane. <laughs> um, he, he's amazing. I love him. Yeah. yeah um, really so, so, so me and Bill, uh, you know, sort of then got to watch him. And, and, it, was, and it was funny as well, because obviously Charlie's like an, an actor and director. So I mm-hmm. was like, ooh, what's, what's this? Uh, you know, is he going to be acting? Is he going to be directing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was directing, so I was like, okay, so if he's directing, like, who's the actor? Is it gonna is it gonna be anyone I know? And there was Nolan North, um, oh, wow. <laughs> and and it was for you know a then unknown show, which you know no episodes of it had come out or anything yet, mm-hmm. uh, called Blaze and the Monster Machines, which is now this sort oh, of popular gosh. big multi series, uh, <laughs> multi season thing. And somehow um, I'm actually shocked that that Charlie Adler directed it just because if you know him he, as a know, personality, yeah. he's like he's <laughs> definitely not PG, you know. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, and even, and even, uh, yeah, like he's just he's like so funny. It, it's so funny because just a quick thing about Charlie is that he's like one of the kindest, sweetest people you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. And yet he is also one of the most profanity-laden people you'll ever meet. And those two things don't normally, shouldn't really be able to fit together in most people's heads. They'd be like, what? And right. it's like, no, just just meet him, talk to him. It'll make sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so, so I went to Nickelodeon then. And then um, and I, I did like a private uh, session with Rob Paulson. He was doing private mm. sessions at that time. And I was able right. to schedule one with him. And 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 you used to be able to do them like on Skype. He's like, you could do them on Skype, but I was like, I want to do one in person. I know if we get to sit down and talk. I'd, I'd met him in the the uh, the convention the previous year, the twenty twelve mm-hmm. voice convention. So right. I met him a little bit, talked to him. Um, but I was like, I want to actually sit down face to face with him, and and do this like private session because that will have more impact than a Skype thing. And I was here yeah. for the and I was there for that trip anyway. Mm-hmm. So I tried. I desperately tried to schedule it during the sort of month I came out here. Um, it, it, this was in 2013, if I didn't say okay. that. So I, I did the Voice 2012 convention, and in 2013, I came back. It was like a year and three months later or something. Um, and uh, I did the private with Rob Paulson. And then, and it was just really funny as well, because we did this sort of private, and then at the end of it, because um, we weren't kind of finished, and I was a bit like, oh, no, we haven't kind of said everything I want to get into. And he was like, we're, we're, like, we're far from done. We're going to have another sit down and talk before you leave. Mm. Um, he was like... I tell you what, maybe I'll try and get you in on a session. And it was funny because he was kind of like, have you ever been to Nickelodeon? And I felt really sorry because the answer should have been no. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. But I was like, actually, I went last week, but this is still amazing. Like, um, but then I got to watch him do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The, this oh, cool. is the 2012 series mm-hmm. where he was Donatello. Um, and it was Andrea Romano directing. Um, and it was him and Greg Sipes, Donnie and Mikey. And it was just, oh, it was just the most amazing. Oh, it was brilliant. I loved it so much because I love turtles. Um, so, yeah. but so I got to go to Nickelodeon twice in in this like month long trip. It That's was insane. unbelievable. And how did you, you know, this? How did you not stay after that? Because you said you came back to England after that and and moved well, permanently it, just a few years ago, right? Yeah, I mean the the thing I the thing I wish is that I could have stayed. At, mm-hmm. I mean, but obviously, just like you know, the the legal restrictions right. and stuff of it prevent you from doing that. Mm-hmm. The uh, I I remember the I, I remember after the first trip, I was I was really sad to leave because I had such an amazing time, and I wish I could have stayed. Mm-hmm. The second trip, I weirdly didn't feel like that I, because I kind of was like, 
I have more to do. And I knew what the third trip was going to be. Mm. So I was like, I have stuff that I want to do and I know what I'm going to do. And then I kind of did that. And there was, it was only like nine months between the second trip and the third trip. Okay. Um, and then the third trip I sort of came, did a few more classes, made my demos. And I really hoped I could just kind of magically stay after that one because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd kind of accomplished everything I needed to without living here. You know, I'd right. kind of done everything you can do in trips, you know, like I needed to live here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of entered, you know, a very kind of weird phase of my life, basically, where I had done three trips in three years and I wanted to be able to move here. Um, but it takes a lot of money and a lot of, you need to get a lot of like evidence and paperwork and mm-hmm. it's, it's all just a very messy, complicated thing. And it took a long time for everything to kind of come together and everything. And it took sort of almost four years. So it was very, it was very tough. And again, you know, when you sort of like have been to Nickelodeon twice in a month and then you like go to this little town in the countryside in England and you feel so close and again I'd met people mm-hmm. I'd met like Tom from Vox and they like had oh, interest in me back in those trips oh wow um and stuff you know like I, I you know I sort of met all these wonderful people and people who I was like oh I you know these these people could be my friends if I could stay um it was a very hard thing kind of feeling like you were so close but like having to go and but but at the time I thought well I'm sure I'll be able to get everything I need in like a year, year and a half tops. Mm-hmm. I'll be able to live here permanently. So then when it took like, you know, over three and a half years, that was that was very tough. Yeah. Um but but I did it. It all kind of it, it it all came through, it all worked out. Um I'm here now and I'm loving it and it's going really well so far. So That's um, awesome. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into the ways that it's going well, of course. But I'm just curious, you know, um were you also auditioning during this period in between your trips to LA or was it still at that point purely academic and trying to just learn as much as you could? That's an awesome question. So dur- like sort of during all the trips, it was still uh, academic thing I kind of forgot to mention is um, so after the first trip after the voice the the convention I'd kind of met a few people who I was like interested in like learning from and uh, and then basically between the first and the second trips that's when I started to do my first classes because you also asked about what I did in England like classes and stuff right, and so yeah. this this was um, one of the things I was sort of building to as well um, but then I probably waffled and forgot um, <laughs> uh, but like, uh, so what I did is after that trip, I then started to do like Skype classes with people. So I did like Crispin Freeman's like online uh, group mm. class. And then I did a bunch of privates with Bill Holmes. Okay. And then, so that's, so that's kind of how uh, we sort of stayed in touch and our relationship cemented further. It wasn't mm-hmm. just that sort of, I talked to him and he was kind of impressed with me. And then like a, a year later, he was like, oh, let's get you in at Nickelodeon. You know, it, right. it wasn't like that. We'd, <laughs> uh-huh. we'd sort of taken classes and stuff. And again, he'd kind of seen how determined I was to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he then sort of introduced me to and pointed me towards uh, Richard Horvitz. So I did okay. uh, classes with Richard Horvitz. Um and then I did the second trip, and then I came back, and I did, like, a few more classes, like, not loads. It was kind of just, like, mainly the temp jobs to, like, make way for the third trip. And then I sort of, in the third trip, I did more classes and made the demos. Mm-hmm. But obviously, once you have the... So, again, I sort of took that very academic approach. I, I knew you don't make demos first. Do not make your demos first. <laughs> right. do, ev- do everything else, like, hone your skill as an actor and, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. everything. And then once you feel like you have something to offer and that you might be able to competitively do this and be able to compete with people and 
beat out other people for this, then make your demos. Yeah, and um, I think like just to piggyback off of what you just said, you uh, you hit the key, which is once you feel that you can do this competitively, uh, you know, because a lot of people think in terms of gauging their their improvement within themselves and that's not necessarily the same as being competitive right. and actually making money off of it so yeah um, and, yeah and like please don't think that i mean i, I don't mean it in like a smug or arrogant way i don't mean you no, have to no. be like i'm really awesome it, it's just kind of but you have to have like a sort of a skill set and that skill set developed to a certain level mm-hmm. and and you kind of have to like kind of know who you are and what you kind of have to offer mm-hmm. um just kind of like enough to be able to think i can get work professionally and get paid to do this like you were kind of saying you know right. that kind of uh so yeah it's kind of so i kind of knew i had to build to that point um so it was, it was after the third trip where i kind of had you know i sort of made the demos and i was like i've got to that point so i kind of did like online pay-to-play sites Mm -hmm. and again so because again i was kind of like well i can do the the p2ps and i can do that kind of stuff and i can actually start building some credits and making some money Mm -hmm. um and then and i I can sort of also work on getting things together for like visas and actually working on the like how do i get to because i didn't like know how to get to america i kind of just had like assumptions and and it was very hard as well and i didn't really know what it meant by wanting to be a voice actor because, like I said, I'm not like a stage guy or anything. I don't really have on-camera ambitions. I just I love cartoons and games and commercials, and I really feel comfortable behind a microphone. Mm-hmm. So, But I was like, well, how does that affect things? And it was very hard to sort of get the answers that I needed based on that. Is it the same as being an actor? Is it different? What, right. You know, even just finding out what type of visa do you need was like a really hard thing. Yeah. And I even like wrote to the embassy and the stuff they sent me, I, you know, like I probably have an old letter somewhere, not with me here in the States, but like mm-hmm. probably back in England, I have a letter somewhere. Mm-hmm. And none of the visas they suggested are the one I needed. And that's the embassy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so... It was a very hard thing to research, and luckily I kind of managed to find the right people who were able to kind of talk to me and be like, ah, okay, so if you want to do this during voiceover, it'd be kind of similar to if you're, like, on camera or stage or all of the above. Mm. Um, but, like, you'd kind of need to do this, and you need to do that. Um, so, but, yeah, so it was, it was after I did all the America stuff, all the, like, the trip stuff, that mm. I then actually started to do this professionally and started able to make, like, some money at it. Okay. Um, on like the pay to play sites and through just trying to make my own contacts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of took this like, yeah, it was like 2012 to 2014 was between the first convention and making those demos. So I kind of took this like two year period of building on my, that knowledge I'd kind of learned in university from like podcasts and books mm-hmm. and actually taking it and having that like hands-on experience of like actually doing classes actually working with directors and Mm -hmm. teachers and having that sort of feedback and actually talking into a microphone and having someone listen to it and evaluate you and helping you develop that skill rather than just kind of knowing what voiceover is in your brain right um and uh yeah so it was kind of after that it was kind of in that sort of weird lull limbo purgatory kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, phase in England for like the three and a half years where I like sort of started to do work from home mm-hmm. uh, but that's thing I, I never really integrated into the English system much because I've, for one thing I was always like well I'm 
going to be in America in a few months. And it always, and mm-hmm. the annoying thing was that it always seemed like that as well. Like based on my right. research and based on the information I had, it seemed like, well, in like six months, maybe nine, I'll be in America. You know, you don't need to like get too cushy mm-hmm. or cozy or anything. And, yeah. Um, Which must have been a, a tease, you know, in terms of, I mean, it's like climbing a mountain thinking, oh, the, the beach is on the other side or wherever the destination. And then you just see another right. mountain. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm curious, I'm going to ask you probably a, a combination of five questions in two seconds and do your best to answer them. <laughs> but that's, that's my kind of question, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm curious, you know, uh, so once after the three and a half years, you were able to finally make the move to the States. What were some of the challenges that you faced? being specifically from England? Like, uh, for example, did you ever, once you went to sessions, um, have people say, oh, you're you're English? If you were auditioning for an American role, did that ever sort of confuse people and, and stay on the back of your mind? And also, what were the steps you took to eventually land an agent? Um, so I'll start with the agent thing just because that's quick. Okay. Um, so because of Bill, he was able to hook me up with... Um, I had a sort of smaller boutique agency when I first moved here. Mm -hmm. But then kind of long story short and stuff like that, I was ultimately able to, because I sort of met Tom before in like my 2013 trip. Right. um, He knew that I was out here. He kind of heard about how I was doing um, and that I'd been sort of like hustling and getting a lot of my own work Mm -hmm. um, and sort of doing well. But I really needed that kind of access to the next tier of uh, work. Right. and we had, you know, like a really good lunch, like me, him, and, and Bill. And, um, and you know, he still kind of liked me <laughs> um, <laughs> after the 2013 trip. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but we just got on. It was a really nice lunch, um, like both the food and the company and the talk. Um, and, um, and then, yeah, so I've kind of been with Vox ever since, and I really love it there. And um, they've just given me... You know, it's just so exciting and so amazing and so brilliant to get to audition for you know, these studios and uh, yeah. and these people, you know, these people I admire, these people whose names I recognize from credits, um, who I'm, you know, fans of. And mm-hmm. um, that's just very exciting. And that wouldn't be possible without Vox. So I'm yeah. so grateful to them for the just amazing opportunities they have unlocked for me. Definitely. And I hope, I hope I'm doing them proud. Um, and I, I don't know if you felt this way about Tom, but like one of the things I love and that I ended up going with Vox was how down to earth, you know, he was and just friendly and approachable and yeah. like he's the president, but you know, he just feels like a, another friend um, that I, you're having a chat with. And like, yeah. I kind of forget he's the president because I met him yeah. like before he's the president and I'm like, Oh yeah, he's <laughs> <Right>. the president. <laughs> like, you know, but we, you know, to me, he's just like Tom who I met years ago and like had pizza with, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. And then with regards to the, uh, the American thing, um, and say like English and American I've never walked into like a physical session where I've kind of met the people face to face and they've been like oh you're you're not American or whatever like I've, I've never I've not had that situation okay. um just yet but I, di- I did have it I did have it for like a, a virtual one there was a, a gig I, I booked on uh like pay to play when I moved out here I did do pay to plays a little bit once I came back out here again so I I booked a gig like on a play a pay to play so it was like a remote thing, and I remember I did this audition and I did an American accent audition, and the guy wanted he was like oh we really like your audition um we've narrowed it down to like you and someone else, but um 
we'd love to we'd love for you to do another audition but we'd love to talk to you first before it mm. um can we like call you and talk to you about kind of what we would like from a, a round two audition and I was like, oh, and, no, like, I'm going to have to, like, <laughs> reveal that I'm English kind of thing. You know, I, I kind of just wanted... You never even thought of just keeping the accent up the entire, you know, meeting? <laughs> I, I did, but, like, oh, I just would have felt weird yeah. about it. Um, right, right. But, um, but it was funny because the guy was actually uh, Irish. So oh. it, I, I feel like in a way it weirdly helped. Um, mm. he, I think he'd, like, looked me up and found that I... Maybe he didn't. I think there's someone else who like looked me up and said, like, I, "I found you English," and uh, like that surprised mm. me. But um, but, but yeah, so I, I think I started talking. And he was like, "Yeah, I realized like you're not American, you're English." Um, but, <laughs> but it was nice, you know. We sort of talked because he he lived in New York, um, okay. so you know you sort of immediately start talking about like visas and green cards, and, yeah, <laughs> and all this stuff. So I think in a weird way, my Englishness actually helped me because I was able to then bond with this guy mm-hmm. and have oh, like cool. a nice conversation with him. And then and then I booked the job and uh, and I did the job and that was, it was this, like nice commercial that ran in a, in a few states, I think. Um, nice. That was really cool. So, but yeah, not not had it where I've bumped into someone in person. And I think I'm getting mm-hmm. to a point as well where I've, I've kind of like been auditioning for people multiple times and. Mm-hmm. A point comes where you know I've maybe auditioned in English once or twice for someone. It's really interesting because there are some people where I think I've only ever auditioned for them in English, and then huh. some people where I've kind of done like only America. Then some people where I've kind of mixed it, and it's like maybe if the first one I did for them was English, they're like, oh, this guy must be English, and then they hear you do American, they're like, oh, he's an Englishman who can do American. But then I think I have heard of people who thought I was a American who could do English so mm-hmm. but so maybe yeah depending on what people hear first um yeah it, if if that actually does happen where I walk in a studio I will totally message you and be like Sean it happened <laughs> um, yeah please so, do <laughs> but, um, I, but I've not had that happen yet okay well that's good it's, it's good that you're you're able to comfortably step into either either accent and I'm just curious um have you ever done different dialects within England? Are, are there um, some that you're, you know, stronger at, or do you just in general use your natural accent? Um, I generally kind of stray along the path of my natural accent, but um, but my next mm-hmm. my natural accent kind of varies, and there's kind of like different mm-hmm. levels of it in a way. So I can oh, kind okay. of. I can kind of make it a bit more formal and make sure I pronounce mm-hmm. all my letters and the T's at the end of every word. Or I can right. sort of drop sounds and make it a little bit less. And then it's it's not like full-blown like Cockney, but it's more like Essex mm-hmm. or something, you know. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. I can kind of... So I can kind of scale it up or down. And I usually do stuff in, in that range um, of, of sort of like accents and the... the perspective uh the spectrum of like like say southern english accents but mm-hmm. um i do i, I have there's a there's a thing i've worked on um since moving here where I, you know i've done like a little bit of scottish and and okay. you know i've done auditions and things like i, I have done like an irish audition and mm-hmm. um I, I i think generally for those things i prefer doing like say shorter things for them if i had to perhaps be um, like a lead character in something with like twenty six episodes and ten seasons, I'd be a bit, I'd be a bit scared. Um, if I had to <laughs> right. do like, uh, like a Scottish accent or something, I'd just be so worried about like, because I, I, I do really try and take accents seriously and try and do justice. Yeah. Um, so, but I have done, I, yeah, I, I've like auditioned a few times for things like a sort of northern accent and 
uh, like okay. and Scottish accent. And I've kind of done, uh, and I have done like a Scottish accent, like since moving here for a thing. But but it wasn't mm-hmm. like loads and loads and loads of right. stuff. So I I can kind of do like regional accents good enough to do like small things, like for those like little additional extra characters. Like hey, we've got this little extra character. I'm definitely I'm, I'm sort of good enough and comfortable enough to do uh, that kind of stuff. Okay. I definitely hear you with the accents because that's definitely, I try to do accents justice and really understand the nuances within each accent if I, if I have to do one. But, but yeah, it can be tricky how like you can be comfortable with certain accents in certain settings. Like for example, if there's, like you said, a short script versus like, like I might be able to do certain accents if I have a few lines of dialogue, but if it's like improvised, like at a looping session or something, I wouldn't be able to do it at all. Right. You know, um, and and another thing as well is again i don't know about you but like um different placements and stuff as well like you know mm-hmm. it's like i can do like say scottish if it's a little bit like rougher around the edges or something like right. that but if i needed to do like a very sort of clean formal you know kind of say sc- scottish person um mm. it, it's then like harder and, and that's kind of with other th- you know or, or if someone say said with irish um, the Irish I kind of do might be a bit harder for Americans to understand because I sort of try and be a bit more like authentic with it in a way. Um, right. But, you know, if someone said, could you dial it down? I'm not sure. I I mean, I'd say yes, but I'd, in my head I'd be like, I actually don't know if I can because then, yeah. then I might just end up getting like really like leprechaun you know, that kind of right, like, right. you know, kind of it's like, oh no, <laughs> which I don't want. That wraps up part one with Bo Bridgeland. Pretty cool to learn about a voice actor's journey from a different country and all the tips that helped him along the way. Like tip number one, be cognizant of what your trusted friends think you excel at. While Bo was always intrigued by voice acting, he didn't even think of pursuing it professionally until his friend told him he had the talent to pursue it. Two, even if you live far away from a voiceover epicenter like LA or New York, there's a lot you can do to learn and improve. When Bo was still in England, he learned a lot more about voiceover through the internet, books, podcasts, and even directly emailing some friendly voice actors. And three, have a strategy. Bo took an academic approach to his voiceover training, and when he was ready to take real-world action, he knew exactly what type of voiceover career he wanted to pursue and what it would take to succeed, which helped him train efficiently. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up! Jeez! <laughs>